Good morning. My name is Daniel Savanis, uh, stallion for my friends, and um, I'm we're with our student ministry uh, next door, and it's such a privilege to be sharing God's word with you guys this morning. Uh, how are we doing, football fans? Whether you are a, I guess, a USC fan or a non-Tennessee fan, um, it's a good day. Um, also, if you're a football fan, uh, the World Cup starts today. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, last service, it seemed like there was like two people who were excited about that. Um, but the World Cup does start today in Qatar. They, uh, this is the first time that it's in the fall. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a soccer fan. Um, and so I feel like I need to, to share this for a second. Um, but it's usually in the summertime. They move into the fall because it's being hosted in Qatar. And um, they really, I mean, they're, it's incredible. It's incredible to watch. It's great teams. Um, there's not really a team to root for this year because Italy didn't qualify. And so really, this is not worth watching. You'll probably, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, USA is in it, um, and it's going to happen during Thanksgiving. So this is the first time that I'm excited for football during Thanksgiving. Um, it's just the other kind of football. Um, but no, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning to be sharing God's word with you. Uh, we're wrapping up, as Emma said, this series, uh, Simple Prayers. And I don't know what your experience, I think, I feel like every communicator who has been a part of this has been able to share what their experience was with simple prayers. Now, for me, most of you guys know this, my parents were missionaries overseas in Italy, um, and so I grew up overseas on the mission field, and they were missionaries and pastors, and so there was an expectation on uh, the pastor's kids, and especially missionaries' pastor's kids, to know how to pray. Uh, so we had to pray in public. We had to pray um, for uh, events or meals or in Sunday school class and small groups, and so we, never, we were never the family that did like the cute little like, like little fun prayers before the meal, like a little song or something like that. Like, we didn't grow up like that. And so I remember my brother and I one time, and I think my sister was involved too, we, we, we saw a TV show or a movie where the family had a little like, like simple prayer before their food. And I remember thinking like, man, that's so good. That's so time efficient. They just like, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. And so we decided that we were gonna try that with our family. And I don't know if we drew straws or what, if I drew the, the short straw, but we decided that I was the one that was gonna try to pray like that. And so right before our prayer, you know, like we're all kind of like looking around, we're at the dinner table. My dad says, who wants to pray tonight? I'm like, me, okay, and he, he goes, okay, go ahead and pray for us, and so I lowered my head, I did one last look to my siblings, and I said, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, and, and I threw an amen on there for like extra good measure, and I started reaching for the roll, you know, and my dad gave me a look that only a dad can give, you know, it's that, it's that look that's like both like, yeah, what you did was not good, I didn't appreciate it, do not touch that roll, and make sure you pray again, okay, it was all encompassed in that one look that he gave me. And so I did. I prayed a second time and prayed a lot longer. I prayed for, you know, everyone who doesn't have food in the world and, um, you know, all, all the other things as well. Um, but simple prayers, but we're wrapping things up. And as we prepared for, for this time, I kept thinking, like, I love this idea. I love this concept of a simple prayer because our simple prayers encompass or they can summarize such a, a, a portion of Scripture. It can encompass and, and summarize such a, an incredible piece of, of, of Scripture by just saying these couple of words, two or three phrases, two or three sentences. Um, it, it encompasses so much. Like, for instance, my favorite passage, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is Joshua chapter 1. Now, in Joshua chapter one, Joshua takes command of the people of Israel. He's ordained by God to do this. He's filling in Moses's steps. I always say there was some pretty big sandals to fill. Uh, but he's taking over from Moses, and, and he's probably nervous. He's probably worried, and he gets like almost this pep talk from God in the whole chapter. And God comes to him, and he speaks blessing over him. He speaks encouragement over him. And he gets to, to, to chapter one, verse eight, and he says this. He gives him the keys to how he will succeed. And he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. 
Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be successful in all that you do. Then you will be prosperous in all of your ways. That's one of the first verses I ever memorized. I'm like, yes, I love that. And it's so encouraging and it's uplifting. And I'm like, that gets me going. That gets me pumped. And especially during a time of transition, a time of change, that's an encouraging passage for me. Well, I remember in 2015, it was shortly after I'd moved down here, I joined a local gym in town, and the gym that I was going to had these classes where they were doing Olympic lifting. I thought that sounded really fancy. I was like, I'm not in the Olympics, but I'm doing Olympic lifting. You know, like, like the, the snatch, you like lift it up, or the clean and jerk, okay? And so they were teaching us how to do these lifts, and I was, I was learning, I was going, and I was practicing, and one of the coaches came up to me one day and said, Sal, you're doing really well with these lifts. There's, there's a meet coming up in a couple months, and I think that you should consider participating. I looked at her like, you know, she had like three heads, and I was like, you're crazy. And she said, no, I'm being serious. You're doing really well with these Olympic lifts. It comes natural to you. She said, I know you're friends with the other coach. Go talk to him and, and, and ask him about it. So I went to the other coach and said, listen, I know like, this is crazy, but you know, they told me to talk to you. And he got so excited. He said, yes, there's a meet coming up. It's in Augusta. It's at a small gym. It's a little like low key. It'll be perfect for you to have something to train towards, something to get ready for. I'm signing you up. We're doing it together. I was like, Lord, help. And so I needed a prayer. I needed something to repeat to myself. And I remember thinking like, man, Joshua 1 would be so good for me to repeat right now, but I can't like memorize the whole chapter or I can't like say the whole chapter before I lift. And so I started reading through it again. And then I found in verse nine where it says, be strong and be courageous. And those are like two words that kind of repeated throughout, almost like a chorus throughout the whole chapter. And I started thinking to myself, well, that's perfect because I need to be strong with big weights. I need to be courageous. This is something new that I'm doing. It's a new endeavor. And so I started to do that whenever I would go to the platform to lift, I would like kind of line up, I'd get to the platform and say, be strong, be courageous. And I'd walk up and I would do my lift. Be strong, be courageous. And I did it all throughout training and I did it the day of the event. I remember being like nervous, scared, be strong, be courageous, did a lift. Be strong, be courageous, did a lift. And people always want to know, how did I do? How did you do in that competition? Well, I'm proud to say that I got five lifts out of six, which is pretty good. I hit a PR on my clean and jerk, and I got second place in my weight class. Now, the truth is there was only, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can applaud for that. But the truth is there was only two people in my weight class. (laughs) But I still got the blue ribbon and the silver medal. I got to go up on the podium. It was so special. It was so cool. But be strong, be courageous. That, just repeating that gave me the, the, there was the mantra that I needed. It was the reminder that I needed to encompass all of what Joshua chapter one meant for me. And I think in a similar way, the prayers that we've been looking at, the simple prayers, as we repeat those, as we say those, they encompass so much more in even just two, three words, a couple sentences. But I think what we have to be careful of and what I feel the need to, to give an admonition for this morning is to be careful that when we say these simple prayers, they're simple to say, or, or let me say this, they're simple in their words, but they're not necessarily simple in their effects. Meaning they're simple to say these things. It's easy, anyone can do it. Even a young child can repeat these prayers. But to truly pray this, and to truly mean this, you have to understand that this could affect your life in a big way. And when I was getting ready for this message and, and Pastor Chad is speaking next door, we sat down to compare notes and I, and I was thinking about this process. I was thinking about this fact that they're simple prayers, but they're also like kind of complicated. They're a little scary to, to start to pray these. And he said the same thing. I think he worded it a little differently. He said, there's simple prayers to say, but they will lead you down some pretty remarkable and pretty incredible paths. If we start to pray this stuff for real, stuff like, heal me, search me, God, and know me, speak to me, guide me, and the one that we're gonna learn about today, send me. If we start to take those seriously, they're easy to repeat, they're easy to say. You can say it 10 times a day. You can say it all throughout the day. You can say it while you're driving, while you're at the grocery store, while you're in a meeting. But to truly live those out, to truly believe them and pray them, expect God to show up in a big way and expect God 
to start to answer these simple prayers. So with that said, let's look at this idea of send me. You see, because all the way from the beginning of Scripture, all the way from the beginning of time, God has decided to use people to accomplish his mission. When he creates Adam and Eve, he creates them differently from the rest of creation. He says Adam and Eve are like the pinnacle of creation. You have a different role. You have a different task. They were created differently. They receive life differently from God. And Adam and Eve's role was to have dominion, to rule over the earth. They have a different job and a different task. And until they sin, that's their specific thing. He wants to have a relationship with them. He wants to walk in step with them. And after their, their problem, they, he realizes, after their sin, he realizes, I need to develop a rescue plan. I need to put something into motion to save humankind. And he decides to save humankind with humankind. Now, he could have done anything. And I don't know why he didn't choose something else. I don't know why he didn't choose for, like, you know, when you see a beautiful sunset, oh, instantly you're saved. I'm not sure why he didn't solve it to where, like, when you see, like, puppies running towards you, you're, like, your heart melts and you get to know Jesus. I mean, probably because some people aren't dog lovers. Maybe that's why. But he decides to use people to work with other people. And he decides to take people and to send them to work with others. And so we see stories like the story of Noah, where he calls Noah to build an ark in a land where there was no water, there was no rains, and there people thought he was crazy. He goes to a guy named Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and says, I want you to pick up and move and go to a different city. And probably like most of us, we would say, okay, God, I'm willing to obey. Where do you want me to go? And he says, well, I'm not gonna tell you yet. Just pick up and move. It's like, Lord, are you sure? He uses a guy like Joseph to accomplish the, the, the goal of getting the people of Israel into Egypt so they can flourish and multiply. And then because of the flourishing and the multiplying, they become oppressed. And so he uses a guy like Moses to deliver them, to free them. He passes that on to Joshua to conquer the land. While they're in the land, they need some kind of government. And he gives them judges to come and call them out and save them and help them in their times of need. Eventually, he gives them kings. There's a season of prophets. That's what we're going to look at today. Eventually, he gives them Jesus, and in the New Testament, he uses more men and women to be apostles. In fact, the word apostle simply means to be a sent one. To be an apostle is to be a sent one, and each and every one of us today, as we read scriptures, we look at the New Testament, are called to be sent ones, to go out and help the Lord with his mission, to accomplish his mission of influencing the world, of speaking to the world, of, of talking about his great love and his great grace into the world. And so the question that I want to help us answer today as we look at our passage is simply going to be this. What do we need in order to be a sent one of God? What do we need in order to be sent, a sent one by God? A sent man, a sent woman by God. What do we need in order to be sent by God? And what I want to do is read through Isaiah chapter 6. That's going to be our scripture for today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at the whole passage um, so if you have a Bible and you want to go ahead and, and find that, if not, we've got it on the screens. I would ask if you're able and capable, we're going to read the first eight verses together. If you would please stand and let's read God's word together. And if you can, that's fine. You can stay seated. You can pull it up or follow on the screens. Are you with me still? Amen. Verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched you, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen, you may be seated. So we're looking at Isaiah, and I gotta be honest with you that this is just one of those chapters. I remember hearing it as a kid and reading it as a teenager and in Bible college. And if you're trying to read the Bible in a year, you're probably gonna just go real quickly through this passage. Uh, I know we're, we're at the end of this year. Maybe you're already thinking about next year. Maybe you're catching up with some Bible reading. I don't know. But if you read through this chapter, it's so easy to just read right through it, to breeze through the first few verses, to get to verse eight. Here I am, send me. Oh, that's awesome. God, I'm here, send me. Simple prayer. And to just gloss over all that is in the text. And I've got to tell you, this is one of the, one of the like richest pieces of, of scripture that is just so full and dense, this text, that we have to walk through. We have to analyze it. Uh, almost like a, a juicy lemon getting ready for lemonade. You got to like squeeze it and re-squeeze it and make sure that you get all of the, the juice and the pulp out of this. And so we are answering this question, what do we need to do in order to be a sent one of God? And the first thing is that we need a new reverence. We need a new reverence. Or, or another way to say this is we need a new encounter with God. We need a new vision of who God is. We need to be reminded of who he was. Now, ironically, Isaiah is reminded of this. We'll get to this here in a second, but, but he's already been a prophet for some time where one day he's in the temple and he has this vision. He receives this vision and he starts to explain this vision. Now, we're gonna spend most of our time in this first point and we'll go a little bit quicker in the other two, but this vision that he has is kind of bizarre. So it, we got a little glimpse of it. I want to walk us through some things to think about. But if you think it sounds a little crazy, it probably was a little crazier than you can imagine. Okay, If I were to just come to you and say, hey, I had this vision last night, you'd be like, Sal, what were you doing last night? Um, it, 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 sounds, it sounds crazy. But we're going to walk through it and unpack it piece by piece. So verse 1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, again, this is Isaiah speaking, a prophet of God, saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, he gives us the year that King Uzziah died because Uzziah was a king that was liked. He was a popular king. He was one of the good kings, and there weren't a whole lot of good kings. He reigned for about 52 years, and he was the king, uh, one of the kings of Judah. He was a good king. He was leading them well, and towards the end, kind of trailed off, and then kind of suddenly passes away. Now, if you had a king that you liked, a leader that you liked, who suddenly passes away, who suddenly dies, and certainly we've seen stuff like that in the news even this past year, it, it affects you, it, it jars you, it shocks you for a second. And so it's interesting that he puts the timing of this in the, king, the year that King Uzziah died. In that year, he saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne. You see, many commentators think that the fact that he saw God in this vision at this time was an idea of reassurance, was an idea of, of understanding, hey, the reason this is, you're seeing this now is because you're a little bit shaken, you're a little bit preoccupied, you're worried about the future of the country. But God is still on the throne. God is still in control. He still is highly exalted. And it says this, gives us details, it says the train of his robe. I love this. I was able to participate last weekend in two weddings some close friends, and then a, a former student of mine, a roommate of mine. Um, I was actually in his wedding. And you guys all know that when there's a wedding, the bride has a beautiful dress, and she typically has a robe to that, or a trail to that dress. And of course, it's the maid of honor's job to, you know, pick it up and fluff it and move it. And, and if it catches debris, you know, in a fall wedding outdoors, it's going to catch some leaves, and it's their job to make sure they're taking care of all that. 
It says here that the Lord God Almighty has a train to his robe that fills the entire room. Like it's, it's huge, it's big. It signifies uh, authority, it signifies glory, and it signifies beauty and majesty. And, and what Isaiah is hoping that we realize and understand through seeing this is how big our God truly is. <clears throat> the train of his robe fills the temple, and above him were a seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. What's the seraphim? It's an angel. Uh, and there's different types of angels listed in scripture. This is the only time that we see this specific type of angel, the seraphim. But it's tough because when you say the word angel, something immediately pops up in your head, right? With some kind of picture. Maybe it's a <clears throat> Cupid, a little baby, we know, wrapped in the cloth, those little, bing, you know, heart arrows. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, it's almost Christmas time. I don't know if you've decorated it yet. You put the nativity out, you've got those like, uh, those, those little like, um, what are they called, the... Little figurines, but the ones that are like, you know, the angels praying with their hands collapsed and two wings and a little halo. Like, I don't know, maybe that's the kind of angel you think of. But here the word seraphim actually means fiery creature. Okay, so this angel with six wings, which is kind of weird, okay, six wings, that was actually on fire. It's, it is made of fire. And it was huge. And it says that there was at least two of them that we read about. It's possible that there was more in there. And they're above his throne. And in verse 3, it says they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Again, we're trying to see how big and how majestic God is. He's so big and majestic and awesome and incredible. And he's the king so much so that he has angels whose sole purpose is to sing of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Hebrew word is kadosh, 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 kadosh is the Lord God Almighty. They're singing, they're shouting, they're screaming. This was not like this like cool little like nativity painted scene. This is like a scary moment in the temple where fiery beings are shouting. Isaiah's sitting there soaking it all in. He sees God on the throne, still in control. He sees the train of the robe. He sees the angels shouting back and forth. Their job is to worship him. Their job is to shout for him. And even this term holy, which means to be set apart, to be unique. They're saying what God is, is he is so different than any other being his glory fills the whole earth because he is unique, he's different, he's one of a kind. And in verse four, it says, the sound of their voices of the angels, they were singing and shouting so loud that the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Probably the smoke from their beings, from their essence as they were shouting was coming out because they were fiery beings, but everything started to shake like an earthquake. Again, I want us to picture this. I want us to put ourselves in the story. This isn't this like, oh yeah, God's in there, he's chilling, he's cool. Like this was scary. This is big. This is loud. This is majestic. So much so that we get to the response that Isaiah has. The response that he has in verse five is simply this. Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined or I'm coming undone, it says in some translations, because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah has this encounter with God, such a big encounter that it reminds him of who he is and how small he is. Seeing God face to face, having a right view of who God is, gives him a right perspective of who he is. He's small. He's insignificant. He's a sinner. Now, I want to hold that thought because we say, like, what do you mean insignificant? What are you saying, Sal? Well, I want us to say that in, in comparison to God who is in control of the whole universe, he realizes how small he is. He realizes his sin is a problem. 
So much so that he's worried. He starts to confess and repent the sin of, of what he has spoken. Some of the, the, the scholars think that maybe Isaiah had been given a message to deliver from God that he hadn't given. Or maybe he'd given a part of the message, but he kind of chickened out on some of it. And he realizes in this moment, man, I could be doing or saying or so much more, but, but Lord, depart from me. Woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I've lived among a people of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah had gotten ready. He'd gone to the temple like any other day. He was living in the mundane. He was going to church like he always did. He knew the Bible stories that we know. It was probably a Sunday morning like we do and we go to church and he shows up. But something different happens and he has an encounter with the real, true, living God. John 15 says, if you abide in me and I in you, You'll be, my, you'll be like a vine that is connected to the branch and you'll produce great fruit. If we encounter God, if we remain in him, if we live in that encounter with him, if we have a daily encounter with him, we start to be transformed from the inside out. We see who he is, high, holy, majestic, lifted up, and we see who we are, sinners in need of grace and in need of a savior. It's funny because I think sometimes we think God is this holy being who's sitting on his throne waiting to judge us, waiting to attack us, waiting to see us mess up. And there's a side of God in his holiness that he has set apart from sin. But the truth is that his reaction is very different. Because in verse six, we see what instead happens. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, to Isaiah, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, P.S., whenever there's fire in Scripture, it usually has to do with judgment and wrath. And so I could just picture Isaiah. Like, again, you're, he's in the temple. Now all of a sudden he has this vision of grandeur, of holiness, of God, of angels, of singing. Things are shaking. Things are going crazy. And he's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And all of a sudden this angel comes at you with coal from the fire. Like, you would be scared. You'd be terrified. And it says that they took the coal, in verse 7, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There's great grace and purity and cleansing that comes from the holiness of God. When we receive an encounter with the Holy One, we see ourselves for who we are, sinners in need of his grace and his forgiveness. And when we do that, when we adjust our view, when we adjust our perspective, then we are able to enter into the prayer because in verse eight, God says, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And he responds then, here I am, send me. It's a beautiful picture where he's able to enter the throne of grace. He's able to enter the throne room and, and see God for who he is, for all of his glory. He has this encounter with him and reminds him of his sin. He asks for forgiveness of his sin and God grants him that forgiveness. And his response to the grace that he's received is to respond in action to respond in obedience, to respond in going and helping and being a part of God's mission. Who shall we send? Here I am. Send me. If we want to be a part of God's mission, a part of what God is asking us to do, we're going to explain what that is here in a second. The first thing that we need is to have a vision and encounter a new reverence of who God is. We need to have a right understanding of his holiness, of how great he is how set apart he is, how unique he is. He created the world. He, he put us together before the foundation of the world. That is the God that we serve. When we start to see that and start to grasp that and start to understand that, we ask for forgiveness and we're restored a right view of ourselves. And then we get to point two. The second thing that we need is that we need to find a unique calling. 
We stopped our reading in verse 8, where it says, here I am, send me. In verse 9, he says, and I don't know if you notice this, there's actually a couple times where the, the <clears throat> God responds in a plural, who will go for us. And it says, he said, he responds. Some people think that this was the Trinity at work here. But in verse 9, <clears throat> it says, he, he said, his, gives him his call, go and say to this people. Verse 9, go and say to this people. Isaiah gets sent to a very specific group of people in a very specific time in their history. Again, when? The year that King Uzziah had died. If it had been a different time, the message probably would have been different. If there had been a different president, a different governor, a different situation, a different uh, year, a better quarter, the message would have been different. But in that moment, in that time, the message that he was given from God was, here's what you need to say. Here's what you need to repeat for me. Here's what I want you to go and to do. And the truth is, is for us as well that God is giving each and every one of us a unique calling. Now, we need to clarify because sometimes this word unique can get us in trouble because we're waiting to hear that booming voice of God that says, Stallion, I need you to move to South Carolina to work at Mount Horeb as a youth pastor. But that rarely happens. God doesn't usually speak to us like that. He doesn't give us that booming voice that we're waiting for to come from the heavens to tell us exactly where to go, when to do it, when to apply for the next job, when to leave the current one, when to do this, when to do that. It doesn't happen like that. But we understand in chapters like Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, in the Great Commission, the Great Call, God has called each and every one of us to go and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's my call. That's your call. And your call, and your call, and your call, and your call. Every single person in this room, God is calling us to go and make disciples. What's unique about the call is how and to who he's sending you. You see, there's people that you will rub shoulders with that I will never rub shoulders with. There's people that you work with. There's people that your kids play on teams with. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people that live next to you, behind you. There's people that you encounter in the grocery store. There's stores that you go to that I don't go to. There's different places. Well, Lexington's a small town. We all go to the same couple stores and restaurants. But there's people that you'll rub shoulders with that I won't rub shoulders with. And you have the unique calling to go and to speak to them. And you have the unique gifting and skill set to go and to speak to them. In fact, it's interesting here to me that, that <clears throat> as he's getting prepared, it, it says here that the, the seraphim brought the coal to put it right on his tongue. That's what he confessed. That's what needed cleansing. And when he's ready, he ends up being the mouthpiece of God. Isn't it interesting that the one part that he needed to do his job, to be a prophet, to be the mouthpiece of God, was his tongue, which was the area that was unclean, which is the area that the, the angel cleansed. God has wired each and every one of us to do specific things that we will be good at, that we will be passionate with, that we will be able to do in ways that only we'll be able to fulfill. I remember at, at Columbia International University that we were graduating, they were teaching, they, they had been in school for a long time where they would raise what they called professional ministers. They raised pastors, and youth pastors, and missionaries, and Bible teachers, and, and people who were gonna go work at churches and nonprofits all throughout the world but they realized that we, we were kind of missing a demographic of people. And they said, besides creating professional ministers, we also want to create ministering professionals. People who know the scriptures, who know the word of God, but can serve God in any area of life and anything that they do, just simply in how they are living their lives. And I've been a youth pastor long enough that I've been able to see my students kind of come full circle. And I've, I spoke this past week with a student of mine who is now a youth pastor uh, just outside of Raleigh. And he's becoming an associate pastor at a church it's like, that's crazy. That's a student that I've been able to see who's going back into ministry. But I've also seen students of mine who have gone and done incredible things uh, in different fields, different careers. 
One time I invited a friend of mine to come speak to our students who had become a videographer. And he was creating movies and, and did freelance video work. And he created these commercials with Doritos chips that he had submitted uh, to, to the Super Bowl as the Super Bowl commercial. And we invited him to come and speak and say, man, I can be a videographer and I can love Jesus. Uh, there was another student of mine that came and spoke one time and he was a skateboarder. He was actually was from Lexington and he had joined this organization, uh, Borders for Christ, Skating the Nations. And he traveled all over the world with his skateboard and got invited to places that I would never get invited to with his skateboard. And he had a chance to, to preach the gospel and share the good news of Jesus with. This past week, I met with another student of mine who I saw at one of the weddings and reconnected with. And he just bought a coffee shop. And, and there's nothing more mundane than coffee. But he's able to love God. He's, he didn't put a Bible verse on the cups, but the way he treats his employees, the way he treats the people in his, in his community, the way he runs his business is a testimony to how he loves God. In our student ministry here, we, we say that we want to create a place for students, a place to belong, believe, and become. We want them to come and feel welcome and feel like they're a part of what we're doing. We want them to come and receive knowledge of God and who he is, believe in him. But we also believe and trust that God can help them to become all that he has for them. There's students in our ministry who are going to become the future, you name it, businessmen, politicians, inventors, uh, coders, video games, um, gamers. I don't know. It's, the, the future is bright and is, is wide open. I believe that God has given people unique skills and gifts. And as long as you're putting that to use, as long as you're discovering your unique calling from God and sharing the gospel message with others, God will use you in a powerful way. So if you want to be a sent one, you need to understand who God is, who you are, and how you fit in that. You have to understand what he's asking you specifically to do. And if you haven't received a specific calling, you know that there are some generic callings. Preach the word, share the love of God with others. But the last thing that we need is that we need to persevere at our post. We need to persevere at our post. I said we stopped at verse eight, but the chapter continues. And I love this because God says to, to Isaiah, go and say this to the people. And then here's this, verse nine. It's a tough message. It's not easy. He says to him, go and tell them, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn them to be healed. And Isaiah's like, in verse 11, he says, how long, O Lord? That's like that question, are we there yet? How long do you want me to do this for? You want me to preach to them that they're not going to hear? You want me to preach to them that they're not going to understand? You want me to preach to them that they're not going to get it? For how long? And he says, until the cities lie waste without an inhabitant, houses without people, the land is desolate with waste, and the Lord removes people far away and forsaken places in many of the bits of the land. And then he gives this verse of hope, chapter 13, verse 13. He says, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, It'll be like an oak whose stump remains when the field is felled, the holy seed is at some stump. He says, the message that I'm asking you to speak, again, we don't know God's reasons, we don't know why, we don't know why he gives them this message. He goes, but the message that I'm asking you to give is a message of doom. What they specifically, uniquely need to hear right now is this message that what they're doing is not acceptable and they're gonna suffer the consequences. Now, in his wisdom, in verse 13, he says, there will still be this remnant, this stump, this idea that there's still gonna be a peace that's gonna remain and be fruitful and do well. He says, but Isaiah, your job is simply to go and to give this message, and by the way, it's not a fun message. He's like, how long do you want me to do this for? He's like, until I tell you not to. In Galatians chapter six, verse nine, 
The Apostle Paul says this. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God calls us to go. He doesn't always tell us when we will be done. He doesn't always tell us when we will arrive. He doesn't always tell us when or how the mission will be done. You see, I think the truth is this. So many of us, we like to measure success in fruitfulness and numbers and in reports. But God says, I measure success in faithfulness. Certainly we see uh, parables of, of Jesus where he teaches this principle that he's looking for the faithfulness of his workers, the faithfulness of the people who left in the field. He's looking for us to be faithful to the call that he has given us. If we say, God, here I am, send me, he wants to know that we will go, we will respond, we will obey. We'll be faithful to that. And that's why it's not just a simple prayer. It's a prayer that can change our whole life. Because if we understand that God is calling us, we're understanding that who he is is so huge and majestic and beautiful and holy and set apart and different and unique. And that puts our sin, our lives on full display. And we realize that we, we can't do it without him unless he equips us, unless he prepares us, unless he sets us forth for that unique message. But we also understand that he may ask us to do something that we have to be faithful in doing, even if it's not fun even if there seems to be no fruit, even if we've prayed for years and years and years for that person to come around, to have a solution, to be fixed up, to, to, to receive healing, we may pray for all of those things and not see it. God says, are you gonna remain faithful? Are you gonna stay faithful? Are you gonna keep your post? Here I am, Lord, send me. That's a dangerous prayer. And I had a professor one time, he'd share this message. He shared it every year with the freshmen. His favorite message to share. He would come in and he would talk about his experience of being called to the mission field and his experience of going overseas. And he said, I realized one time that the best way, the best way I can apply this to you is, is to take a piece of paper. And he had a blank piece of paper for every student in the room. He said, I want you to take a blank piece of paper. And I want you to go to the end of the page. I want you to pull a line. And I want you to sign your name on the line, if you're willing. He said, the, the details and the specifics are not on the paper. The paper's blank. And you're understanding that God will fill in those details. He will fill in the specifics. He'll fill in the where, the when, the how, the to whom. Are you willing to sign on the line and say, God, all that I have is yours. Here I am, send me. I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when. But I'm willing to go and I'm willing to obey. And that's the question I have for us. Where's God sending you? What is God asking you to do? Who's he asking you to speak to? What's he asking you to share? And the truth is, he may not be sending all of us overseas. Statistically speaking, this room is probably not all called to go somewhere. But would we be willing to if he asked us to? Would we be willing to have a conversation with our neighbor that gets under our skin? Would we be willing this Thanksgiving to treat people a little differently around the table if God's calling us to do that? don't know your situation. I don't know where we find ourselves, but are we willing to say, God, whatever you ask of me, here I am. Send me. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy scriptures. Thank you so much, Father, for the vision that Isaiah receives of you, holy, high, lifted up. And thank you, Father, that when we see you in your splendor, in your greatness, all your glory. Father, that 
our hearts are awakened to the sin in our hearts. We're moved to confession and we're moved to repentance. So Father, help us have a right view of who we are. To see us as called to be a part of your ministry, but to realize that, Father, we are unclean until you come and purify us. Father, give us a heart, give us a passion for your mission. Help us to see lost people in need of receiving your message. Help us to see people less fortunate than us as people who can receive what we have an abundance of. Father, help us to see as you see. Break our heart for what breaks yours as we sing and, and say, Father, work in a mighty and powerful way in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be willing to say, here I am, send me. We don't know the specifics. We don't know how, where, when. But help us, Father, to answer this call. We ask these things in your holy name.